0: Well, good morning. I want to start by telling you a little bit more of my story. Um, not because I think that my story, story is particularly interesting or, or important, but uh, because it leads into our sermon topic. Um, some of you might not know, I, I grew up in Alberta, um, way out west in the prairies in a small prairie town. And after high school, I went to, to Bible college which is something I encourage every Christian young adult to do. And it was there that I sensed a call to be a youth pastor. And so after Bible college, I moved out to Ontario, where I had got a job as a youth pastor at Vineland uh, MB Church. Some of you know where that is. And um, I spent nine years there as a youth pastor. And they were amazing years. Um, felt like I was doing what God had called me to do. Um, they were fulfilling years, um, seeing God work through me. They were also incredibly challenging and tiring years, um, and after nine years I was pretty burnt out and I, I felt that God was leading me to move, move on to something else. And I had no idea what that was, uh, no idea. I'd been to Bible College and, and was a youth pastor, I'd been in this church bubble for all my life and here I was outside the church, um. But God was faithful, and He provided. He just kind of dropped this job in my lap, um, and it was land surveying. And if you have no idea what that is, uh, I'm not going to bore you with all the details. But land surveyors measure land. We determine and uh, and set proper property boundaries. If you've ever seen, I'll get uh, look to put the picture up there. If you've ever seen a guy looking through an instrument on a tripod, that's land surveying. All right. So I did that for a couple years outside and then I moved into the office and now I, I work uh, supervising the drafting department and there's another picture there of uh we prepared drawings that look kind of like that. Basically they're 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 maps of people's property. So it's a great job. I'm treated well there. It's interesting and I'm incredibly thankful. The reason I'm telling you that is because the transition between those two jobs was really difficult in some ways. Because I went from doing God's work with air quotes you know i was i was teaching i was discipling teenagers this is work with eternal consequences and i went from that to just doing a a regular job working for a paycheck something secular uh, again with the air quotes um, and it seemed pretty unimportant in comparison and there were even times that i wondered like does this even matter like is there is there any meaning to what I'm doing. And I know that God has placed me there to share his love and his truth with my coworkers, but, but the reality is, the vast majority of my time at work is just working. Not even talking to people. Does all that work have any eternal purpose? I don't know if you've ever asked uh, questions like that about your own work. Well, tomorrow... Pretty much every one of us is going to go to work in some ways. Many of us have paid jobs. Some of us um, are self-employed or we run businesses. Some of us are stay-at-home moms or dads, and that's work too. Um, students, you guys work. Um, you're, you're not looking forward to going back to that in a couple of weeks, but but you work. Retirees work. People for some people in you know that are in their senior years, just getting out of bed and staying alive is their work. We all work. It wasn't meant as a joke. <laughs> um, we all work, and we, we probably spend more of our lives working than, than anything else. And the question is, does our work matter? Does all that time have any meaning? Have you ever asked those questions? And as Christians, too, there's, there's even more questions. Why do we work? You know, what's our motivation, and how do we work? How does being a Christian make a difference in the way that we work? How do we integrate our faith with our work? What does the Bible have to say about all this? And as I've wrestled with some of these questions, I have become convinced that we have an inadequate theology of work. I really believe that. We have not thought deeply enough about what the Bible says about our work and why we work and how we work. And I believe that's a big problem. Because if Jesus is Lord, he needs to be Lord of our work. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I'm going to attempt to share some of the things that God's been teaching me through his word, and also through my, my experience in my seemingly unimportant job. And it's, it's a huge topic that we get a whole series of sermons on. So this is going to be kind of an overview, but I pray that God will use my feeble words to open our eyes to the calling that he has on our lives in our work. So, here we go. What does the Bible say about work? We're going to start right in the beginning, in Genesis This is right at the beginning of the Bible, and if you want to follow along, I forgot to get the the, the page numbers, but um, it's right at the beginning of the Bible, so it shouldn't be too hard to find. Chapter 1. This is the story of how God created everything, and it's a good place to start for a lot of things because how God created things is the way that he intended them to be, and that has many implications, and it has implications for our work. So Genesis begins by telling us how God created the universe. He created light and darkness, the heavens, the earth, water, land, plants, and animals. And then he created us, human beings. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. And we're skipping down a little bit to verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. There's that word, work. And so in the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. I'm going to skip ahead to Genesis 2. uh, starting verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and he put put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, there's that word again, and take care of it. Skipping ahead to verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. This is God's, God's word to us. There's a few things here that we can learn about work. So we're going to go through a few things. First, God created us to work. It was part of his intention for us right from the beginning. It says that God created us in his image, male and female, that's important, in his image. And what does that mean? Well, there's, there's a lot of things that at least part of it has to do with work. It says that God worked. And the work He did, the, the work that he did was creating and it's kind of an interesting thing to think about. Do you ever wonder why God created everything? I think it was just some of it was just for the sheer joy of creating, because that's who he is. Like, you think of all the planets in distant galaxies that, that we'll never see, and all the beauty that must be there. Was it necessary for God to create all that? Of course not. He created it because that's who he is. And he put that creativeness in us. It's part of his image in us. And I'm not just talking about creativity in terms of, like, art or making things that are super original. Like, I'm not creative that way, and most of us aren't. I'm talking about carrying on, in a small way, the work that God started. What did God do when he when He created? He brought order and beauty out, out of chaos. And in some way, a lot of our work does exactly that. We take a mess and we organize it. We, we make things. We build relationships. We make sense of things. These are all creative things. And that's the image God in us God created us to do the same kind of work that he does and we see that in the things that God tells Adam and Eve to do what's the first command that God gave humankind anybody know be fruitful and multiply make babies that's creative work the second command is fill the earth and subdue it theologians call that the cultural mandate take the raw materials that God made and we, we invent stuff, we build stuff we, we work to create civilization if you think about it, that's all of our work all of our work is part of that mandate and that's God's command to his people in the garden one specific God, job that God gave Adam that we read about was to name all the animals so Adam's kind of like the first biologist God instituted science That's a pretty significant task that he gave to Adam because at the start, it was God that was naming things, wasn't it? He created the light and he called it day and darkness and he called it night. And now he turns that work of naming things over to Adam and to us. That's his image in us. God also gave humans some measure of responsibility for his creation. We read that Adam was put in the garden to work it and to take care of it. You could also translate those words to cultivate and protect And I think it's possible to see all of the work that we do as in some way carrying on that work. Whether you're directly working the land that God created or building something using the materials that God created or working with people, all of whom are created by God, you are working and taking care of his creation. So the point is, God created us to work right from the beginning. This is before the fall. These people are literally living in paradise. And there's work. Work is good. It's not just something we have to do to survive. It's not just a necessary evil. It's something that has value in itself because God created us to work. And so I want you this morning to think about your work. Whatever that is, and you might not be paid for it. You might work in the home. You might work at school. Think of your work. God created you to do work. We need to, we need to understand that. But we know that's not the whole story. We know that something went wrong. Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and that rebellion affected everything, including work. I'm going to read now from Genesis chapter 3, just a couple pages over. And this is God talking to Adam and Eve after they have sinned against him. So let's read that. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. The pain, it, With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, but you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Because of sin, Work is hard, and that's our next point. The work of burying a child is hard, really hard. Work is painful, it's tiring, it's frustrating. Things don't work the way that we want to. There's thorns, there's thistles, but we have to work. It's necessary for survival now. Even the ground is cursed in this passage. All of creation was affected by sin, and we live with the consequences of that every day. And for some people, especially in other parts of the world, Work is brutally hard. Slavery still exists in this world and many, many people struggle just to find enough to eat. That's reality. We need to acknowledge that, but we also need to realize that's not how God originally intended it to be. It's a result of humankind's rebellion against Him. In a world that was unaffected by sin, work wouldn't be like that. It, would be, it wouldn't be painful and tiring and frustrated. It would be... It it would be fulfilling. It would be enjoyable. Of course, that's not where we live. We don't live in that world. And that raises a question. Is there still any good in work? Do we still bear the image of God? Is there any good in this world even? Or is it hopelessly messed up? And some people would say, yeah, it is hopelessly messed up. The best we can do is endure, get the most we can out of life, and someday we'll, we'll escape this world, we'll get out of here, and we'll go to heaven, and then things will be good again. And in that view of the world, work is just a necessary evil. It's just, it doesn't have any real meaning, it's just something we have to do. And I'm here to tell you this morning that that, that view of the world is wrong. The view of the world is wrong not what we see in the Bible and I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about this because I think it's important. How we think about this is going to have an effect on how we live. So I'm going to get a little bit philosophical here, but just bear with me. There's a point. So this false view of the world is sometimes called dualism. And I got a little bit of a description of what dualism is there. Dualism is called that because it divides the world into two categories. There's spiritual things, and then there's unspiritual things, or material things, spiritual and material. Sometimes they're called sacred and secular. And when it comes to us, us, we have souls, and our souls are spiritual, and we have bodies, and our bodies are material. And in this way of thinking, things that are spiritual are important and good, and things that are unspiritual are unimportant and even evil. So in this view of the world this dualistic view, work is not important because it's not spiritual. It's part of this material world, and because of that, it doesn't even matter. So the thinking goes. The only things that matter are people's souls. And as a result, the only purpose of this life is to save as many souls as possible so we can all escape this world someday and go to heaven. And the logical conclusion of that is that if you're a pastor or a missionary, you're doing God's work. You're doing important work. But if you're not, well, you're not. <laughs> Your only purpose is to make money so you can support the people who are doing the real work. That's how we think sometimes. And that's wrong. That is wrong. It's not the picture of the Bible. It has more to do with Greek philosophy than it does with the Bible. And I want to, say, I want to explain that. We just finished talking about how God created this material world and he said it was good It's God's good creation he created us with bodies and he said they were very good and yes sin has messed everything up sin has messed all of creation up but the story of the Bible is that God is working to renew his creation to reverse the effects of the fall if you have any doubt of that remember that Jesus who was God himself took on a body Think about the implications of that. God took on a body, and he came to live in this material world. And get this, he worked. Jesus worked. He was a carpenter until he was 30. So he actually spent quite a few more years sawing wood than he did preaching. Think of the implications of that. This directly contradicts this dualistic way of thinking. Because the dualistic view is that the material world and the body are evil. But if Jesus came to this material world in a body, that can't be so. And in fact, some of the earliest heresies in the church were a result of dualistic thinking. Some people, they just couldn't accept this. They could not accept the idea that, G- that God would take on a body. And so some of them denied Jesus' divinity. They said, no, he wasn't really God. He was just a man. Or they said, no, he was a spirit being without a true body. But that's heresy. Jesus was fully God and fully human. This is what we believe. And when Jesus rose from the dead, his body was raised to life, not just his spirit. You can still see the wounds in his hand, in the side. He ate food. He had a body. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 that at the end of time, when we are resurrected from the dead, we will have bodies like his. We'll be given transformed bodies. We're not going to be these disembodied souls floating around in the clouds playing harps. That's not the picture. We're still going to have bodies, changed bodies, but bodies all the same. And the Bible also says in Revelation 21 that God is going to bring about a new heaven and a new earth. He's making all things new. In other words, this material world is not going to cease to exist like it was some gigantic mistake on God's part. Because that's not what it was. God's going to renew it. That's the promise. That's our hope. Jesus says, I'm making all things new. So what's the point of all this? Going on and on, what what does it mean about work? Well, if this dualistic view of the world is false and unbiblical, then the dualistic view of work is false. If this material world is part of God's good plan, then work is still part of God's good plan. And even though it's messed up, God is making all things new. That is the message of the Bible. And that brings us to our next point. We work for the kingdom of God. We work for the kingdom of God. God wants to use us in his plan to make all things new. When Jesus came to earth, he announced the coming of his kingdom. Over and over in the Gospels, it was kind of his main theme. He talked about the kingdom. He said, the kingdom is near. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is in your midst. It's growing. The kingdom is like a tiny mustard seed that grows into this huge tree. The, the, The kingdom is like yeast that works itself all through the dough. And we have a part to play in that kingdom. And we know that. We talk about that. We talk about doing kingdom work. We talk about spreading the kingdom. We pray that the kingdom would come. We, we sing. We're going to sing in just a few minutes. We're going to sing, let your kingdom come. But What do we mean by that? I think sometimes we're a little fuzzy on that. Some people talk about the kingdom as if it was a, purely a spiritual thing. You know, it's, it's out there. You, you, you can't see it. Or some people equate the kingdom with the church. The kingdom is all the people who are saved and that's it. But I think it's clear from the Bible that the kingdom is more than that. The kingdom is bigger than that. The kingdom, if you want to break it down to really small, (laughs) a couple words, you could say that the kingdom is the rule of God. The kingdom is the rule of God. It's everywhere that his will is done. And we pray that all the time in the Lord's Prayer. How does the Lord's Prayer go? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. That's the kingdom. The rule of God, where his will is done. So then the question is, well, what's the will of God? What is the will of God? Because that will help us understand the kingdom. Well, the will of God is that people would be saved, that they would repent of their sins and believe in Jesus. That they would recognize Jesus as king and submit to his lordship. That is the will of God. And that's the most important aspect of the kingdom. But it's not the only The will of God is justice. The will of God is righteousness and peace and love. The will of God is for humankind to flourish. He wants the hungry fed. He wants the lonely befriended. He wants the sorrowful be comforted. I'm going to read you a quote from a guy named Jeremy Treat. He's he's part of the Gospel Coalition. I think he says this way better than I could. I'll have it up on the screen there. It says, God's reign begins in the human heart, but it will one day extend to the ends of the earth. Many Christians today think that salvation is leaving earth for heaven, but the story of Scripture is quite the opposite. The message of the kingdom is not an escape from earth to heaven, but God's reign coming from heaven to earth. The focus of God's reign is his people, but the scope of God's reign is all creation. God's kingdom is so much bigger, and we see that in the Scriptures. Romans chapter 8, I'll have that on the screen as well. It says, The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Isn't that an amazing vision? And what this means is that God wants to use us. God wants to use every aspect of our lives to renew his creation, including our work. And so your work, whatever it is, is not just an opportunity to preach the gospel. Your work itself can be kingdom work. Tim Keller says it better than I do, so I'll read it from him. says, To spread the kingdom of God is more than simply winning people to Christ. It is also working for the healing of persons, families, relationships, and nations. It is doing deeds of mercy and seeking justice. It is ordering lives and relationships and institutions and communities according to God's authority to bring in the blessedness of the kingdom. Each one of us needs to do some serious thinking, maybe rethinking about our work, and ask us, how can God use my work in his kingdom? If the kingdom is so much bigger than we've realized, how does God want to use us? How does my work at home, in my job, in my business, or in my school, how does my work accomplish the will of God? How can it bring about justice and righteousness and peace and love? How does it make the world more the way that He wants it to be? That he created it to be. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not sure that it does. I'm not sure my work makes any difference. But... I think, it, I think it does. I'd be willing to bet that most of us are already doing kingdom work in our jobs. Already. We just don't realize it. The kingdom is so much bigger. There are some careers that are definitely not kingdom work. I think we can, we can all agree on that. I'm thinking like uh, drug kingpin and pirate. Those are probably off the list for, for Christians. But there's so many ways that God can use us. So, take my job, for example. Uh, again, not because I'm that important, but just this is because what I, this is what I know. Um, I told you I work for a land surveying company and we, we deal with property boundaries. Can that be kingdom work? Well, does God care about property boundaries? And I know that He does. The answer is yes, He does care about property boundaries because they're a matter of justice. And our God is a God of justice. If property boundaries, and I'll get passionate about here, about my job, if property boundaries were not clearly defined, and if property rights were not respected, the powerful could take land away from the weak. And this happens in some countries where there aren't property rights and where there aren't surveyors to define where boundaries are. There's injustice, and the kingdom of God is not like that. In the kingdom of God, no one can take away things that aren't theirs. And so what that means is that my work each day, even though sometimes it's really mundane and and seems kind of unimportant, my work is in a small way part of God's work to bring about his kingdom. And so it has meaning and significance. So you see how that works? We could do that for everyone here. I'm pretty sure we could. And I'd love to have more conversations with you about this. I think we need to recognize, too, that there are some careers and some workplaces that come with real challenges for believers. Uh, Some of you face really difficult ethical questions in your work. I'm I'm fortunate in my work that my company's never pressured me to do anything that I considered wrong, but I know that not everybody has it so easy. Uh, Christians may need to make hard choices about the places they work about the things they do at work. And there there are some things that we may have to say no to because regardless of the consequences, because we work for a different kingdom. It's not of this world. I had coffee this week with someone who had been considering a job opportunity, and he was telling about how in the end he decided that that this company's product could be used in a way that he wasn't comfortable with, that didn't fit in with what, what the kingdom was all about. And so he decided that that job just wasn't for him. So yeah, we might face challenges like that. We because we live in a fallen world, but there are so many ways that God can use our work in His kingdom. There's something even more important that we need to remember. We work for the kingdom, but the kingdom is all about the King. The kingdom is all about the King. We work for the King. The Bible says that Jesus was exalted to the highest place, that he was given the name above all names, and everything has been put under his feet. He's the king, and we work for him. And the reason I think this is so important is because we forget that. We forget it. Kevin said something a couple months ago in a sermon that I thought was really profound, and it stuck with me. He said, the world wants the kingdom without the king. The world wants the kingdom without the king. The world longs for the kingdom. It, people want justice and righteousness and peace and love. And those are the things that the kingdom brings. But, but most people want nothing to do with the king. And Sometimes Christians even fall into this trap. We get so busy doing good deeds, feeding the hungry and working for justice, but we forget that the kingdom is all about the king. And it's the king who brings the kingdom. And pe- people need to be reconciled to the king. They need to submit to his rule cornerstone maybe we never forget this in the work that we do in our community Meals Plus with the Migrant Workers Clinic those are awesome things that is kingdom work but let's not forget about the king we work for the king there's two passages in the New Testament that talk about this and the implications that 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 truth has for the way that we do our work and so I want to look at those passages now They're found in the books of Colossians and Ephesians, which are toward the end of your Bible. We're going to start in the book of Colossians, if you want to follow along, and then uh, we'll look at Ephesians. So Colossians 3, starting at verse 22. says this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Turn back a few pages to Ephesians chapter 6. It's a similar passage. It says a couple different things as well, though. Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 5, says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him we don't call ourselves slaves, um, though maybe you feel like it sometimes in your work. Um, but it's interesting to know that in, in the Roman Empire at this time, uh, the time this was written, slaves were doctors, they were teachers, administrators, as well as household servants and manual laborers. Basically, to work was to be a slave, unless, of course, you were a slave master. So times have changed, obviously, but the principle is still the same. The main point is that whatever we do, we work for the king. If we're employed, if we we have a job, we're not really working for an employer. It says we're working for the Lord. If we're self-employed, we have our own business. We're not our own boss, actually. We have a master, it says. And if our job is serving others, whether that's in a job or, or at home, it's the Lord Christ we're serving. who we're working for makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. If you've ever had a boss or or a teacher that you just couldn't stand, you know how hard it is to do something for someone who doesn't deserve it. We have trouble with that. And the question is, what kind of king do we serve? What's our master like? He created the universe. He's exalted to the highest place. He's powerful. He's wise. He deserves our service, And yet, this king, we're not just peasants to him. He humbled himself and came to live among us. He, he died for our sins. And in John 15, Jesus says that he no longer calls us servants. He calls us friends. Friends of the king. That king that we work for, he's given us a job. And we work for him because he's worthy. He's worthy of our work. He's worthy of worship. Work is worship. At least it should be. And that has implications. It makes a difference in the way that we do our work. And these passages spell out a few of those implications, and I just want to go over them quickly. The first is that we strive for excellence in our work. Not for the sake of excellence. Not for the sake of bragging rights, our own pride. But from hearts that want to give the best to our King. It says we're to serve wholeheartedly with all our hearts as working for the Lord's. We're working for the King. You don't just get the job done for the King. It doesn't matter if you're a missionary in Africa or a pastor or if you're just sweeping floors or washing dishes. You give the best. Christians should be known for the quality of their work because we work for the King. This passage also talks about respect for earthly authority. It says, we're to obey our earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. And keep in mind, this was written to people who were literally property of their masters and who were sometimes treated brutally. We're to respect our bosses, even if they don't deserve it. And that obedience is to be all the time, not just when people are looking. And the word for that is integrity. We need to have integrity in our work if we are working for the king the workplace is the testing ground for our character it's easy to be holy at church what about at work where telling a lie will get us ahead fudging the books will get us more money where we can get away with so many things because everybody else is doing it and nobody's watching we come to church every Sunday and we sing about a holy God Well, people we work for that God our master. Our lives and our work needs to reflect that. So this passage also has some implications for those of us who are employers or managers or supervisors. It talks about the people that we supervise. And the implication of the fact that we work for the king is that we are no more special than anyone else. We're not more important than the people underneath us. Both passages says there's no favoritism with God. You have a master as well. And the the implication is that we need to treat those under us the same way our master treats us. The Ephesians passage instructs the masters not to threaten their servants. So we need to think about how we motivate our employees. The worldly business philosophy is get as much as you can out of people however you can, and give as little as you can back. But that's not, that doesn't work if Jesus is our master. Certainly, we need our employees to do work, to, be, to do good work, but the question is, how do we do that? How do we motivate them? And we need to think about how our master treats us, with patience, with compassion, with grace. And that extends to compensation as well. The Colossians passage tells masters to provide their employees with what is right and fair. And the Ephesians passage, right after it talks about how God is going to reward us, says, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Christian employers should be known for their generosity because they themselves have a generous master. Now, you may have noticed that I haven't talked at all about sharing our faith. And that's not because I don't believe it's important. It's incredibly important. God has placed each one of us wherever we are and given us a unique opportunity to tell people about his truth and love. And we need to be open about our faith. We need to speak the name of Jesus. It can't just be our actions. But we've heard other sermons on that, so that's not my focus for today. But I do want to say this. If we lived all this out, what would our witness be like? If we, if we lived all of this out, working for our king, people would notice. We would have credibility because people would see this is what the kingdom is like. And so we could talk to them of the king. Lastly, the Bible teaches us that work isn't everything. We need to look at work from the proper perspective. I want to go back to Genesis for this. We read this right at the beginning. We read that when God created the world, he worked for six days, and then on the seventh day he rested. And this is a big theme in the Old Testament. Over and over again, God commands his people to observe the Sabbath, to take a day of rest, because he himself rested. That's always the reason that's given. And I think part of the reason that God did that was to show us that we were created for more than just work. We're created for more than just work. Sometimes we we think that work is our only purpose in life, that our value is in how much we produce. And that's, that's the only thing that we have to do. But that's not the biblical picture. We were created for relationship, first and foremost. God did not need to create people to work for him. Okay? God didn't need us. He wanted relationship with us. And we need to realize that work is not everything. we We need to order our lives accordingly. Sometimes work takes too high of a place in our life. It comes before relationship. But the most important thing that we need to realize about work is that Jesus on the cross has done the work that we could never do ourselves. Jesus has done the work that we could not do ourselves. All of our work, all of our striving could never undo the effects of sin and make us right with God and bring about his kingdom. Jesus did that work for us, the work that we could not do. He took our place on the cross and he took the weight of our sin on his shoulders so that we could be brought into his kingdom. And that, more than anything, gives us the proper perspective on work. You see, we don't work to earn our standing before God or earn His favor because Jesus has already earned that for us. He's done the work. We can rest in that. We don't work to make a name for ourselves because through Jesus' work on the cross, God has given us a name. What does He call us? He says, Son and Daughter. We can rest in that. Too many of us are still working to make something of ourselves, to prove our value. There's a drivenness in our work that shouldn't be there if we believe the gospel because the gospel is the good news that Jesus has done the work. So we can rest in that and we can let our work be an act of worship and gratitude for what Jesus has done. So to close, I want to give us some practical steps we can do to put this into action. One sermon isn't going to do it. Just really briefly. The first thing, we need to talk about our work more. We need to talk about the challenges we face at work as Christians, the pressures there are to conform, um, the people that we're trying to love, the moral dilemmas we face, how we're balancing work and family. We need to talk about even the the meaning and purpose of of our work. And I'd love to have conversations with you about that. Second, we need to pray more about our work. We need to put all these questions to God because he's the one that can help us. And as we pray, he changes our hearts and minds to be in line with his. And lastly, we need to look towards God at our place of work. Wherever it is, God is already there. We need to look towards him, set our faces towards him. And last week, Sabrina talked about practicing the presence of God. I think that's a great way of looking at it. We can't think of God constantly because we have to focus on our work, but we can, we can practice having an awareness that God is there and set our faces towards Him. Work is hard. Being a Christian at work is even harder, and there's so many things to think about. There's so many difficult questions and dilemmas and challenges. But if we're facing towards God, we'll always be moving in the right direction. The little bio in the, the bulletin said that I enjoy getting lost in the forest. Um, and I said that a little bit tongue-in-cheek because there was a time that I did get lost. Wes is laughing. Um, <coughs> I was on a backpacking trip along the, the north shore of Lake Superior. I was with Brian Rowan and Craig Froese. Some of you know them. And it was a five-day trip. On, I've got a picture there. It's like some of the most beautiful scenery in the world. It was amazing. But this is the last day, and I've worn all the skin off the backs of my feet, and every muscle in my bone is aching, and I just want to get out of there, get to the car, and go home. But Brian and Craig, of course, they want to go see another waterfall and take a side trip. So I went on head by myself. Big mistake, because I got lost. Um, and it's a little embarrassing for a surveyor to admit that they got lost. Um, so there it is. But in my defense, the trail, this is a real, not a very heavily traveled trail. And so there were times when the trail was, the path was really hard to see. So I got off trail and in trying to backpack, I got turned around in the woods and I lost my sense of direction. So I had a compass with me, but Brian had the map. Um, now fortunately, I had a mental picture of the map in my head. And th- if you can bring the next slide up, this is, this is what I remembered. Um, you probably can't see it, it's too dark. But there's a river going through the middle of there, kind of, like, kind of roughly north-south. And I was on the west side of that river. Uh, This is the picture I have in my head. So I just figured all I need to do is set my face towards the east and keep walking. I'm going to hit the river. I can follow the river to find the bridge that I just crossed, and I'll I'll be on the trail, and I'm good. So, unfortunately, um, the map that I had a mental picture of was actually oriented sideways. So if you go to the next slide, you probably can't see it again, but here the river is going the other way. And so as I was setting my face to the east and you know, going that way. I was actually walking into the wilderness. And um, I kept thinking, at any moment, I'm going I'm to come across the river. I have to. So I kept on going until I realized I was in the middle of nowhere. And so I took my pack off and I climbed a tree and I saw nothing but trees. Uh, and that was a little scary because um, I realized I was completely lost. So I sat down, I prayed, <laughs> and started thinking. And I think it was a revelation from God. God said, uh, the map's like that. Oh, right. Okay, so I set my face to the south this time. I faced the right direction. And I found the river, I found the bridge and the trail, and I walked out. Um, Not before search and rescue had been called and not before my wife had been called and told that I was missing in the wilderness and possibly even dead. Fun story. But the point is this. The point is this. It's really important to be facing the right direction it's really, really important to be facing the right direction. We don't always know where we're going, especially when it comes to our work. The trail is not clearly marked out ahead of us all the time. But if we're facing the right direction, if we're facing towards God, he's going to lead us. He's going to lead us. Some of you may be realizing this morning that you've been facing the wrong direction, especially when it comes to your work, that you've been leaving God out of your work will you turn to him this morning, set your face towards him? Let's pray together. God, work is hard. Thank you that you know that, that you experience that, and you can sympathize with us. Lord, help us to understand how you created us. Help us to understand how our work can have meaning and significance. That you care about it. Help us to see you at work in this world, building your kingdom and making all things new. Lord, let us see that. We pray that you would use us in our work, bring glory to yourself in our work, Lord. We give ourselves to you because you are our king. Lord, help us to do our best for you. Give us integrity, make us holy, and forgive us when we have failed. Lord, make us a light that the world would know who you are. We turn towards you, Lord, this morning guide us by your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name.